Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. Nice to be here talking about sports. Football is officially back tonight. The first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game, is on tonight between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The NFL is here, and it is here to stay. Then I'm going to get into a best running back trio for your team. NBA free agency. The start of Monday, I'm going to break what has happened down, what teams have made the most moves, benefit moves, underrated moves. I am looking forward to talking about that and that new season already happening in a couple of months. A LeBron James tweet and my top five teams in baseball right now. Going to cover it all. So let's get started with tonight's preseason game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do not expect a lot of action in this game between either team. Big Ben is not playing for the Steelers. For the Cowboys, Dak Prescott isn't even traveling with the team. He still has a strained shoulder muscle. Amari Cooper isn't playing or traveling with the team as well. So a lot of the team's supposed stars will not be playing this game at all. But this still does not take the hype away from me. Because there are some things I want answered. Zeke is playing with the team. How does he look uh, after a tumultuous year last year where it was his worst season in the NFL so far? He went back to working out, is rebounded. How does he look in kind of this first game in scrimmage back? The quarterback situation for the Steelers behind Big Ben. Big Ben says he doesn't see himself playing with anyone other than the Steelers. This is the last year on his contract. This could be it. But there are two other quarterbacks on that roster. Mason Rudolph is getting the start tonight. Dwayne Haskins. We'll also get some snaps in the second half. So we're going to get to see who's going to be the backup to Big Ben this year and who is most likely to replace him. Is it Mason Rudolph, uh, the guy who has had filled in for Big Ben in the past and hasn't really done a great job, hasn't really been promising coming out of Oklahoma State? Or is it the polarizing Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State who came to the football team with a few big wins, but his off-the-field issues were detrimental uh, to him and the team. So they cut him loose, but he found a new job with the Steelers right away. How does Dwayne Haskins look now with the Steelers? Is he improved? Is he better? I think he should be. He should be focusing a lot on football. We should be seeing a lot of Dwayne Haskins. I want to see a lot of Najee Harris running back for the Steelers and see how he performs as well. I don't expect a lot of snaps from TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, or stars of his defense. And I don't think you'll be seeing a lot of starters play these preseason games as it's one game shorter because of the expanded regular season. But teams still need to figure out who is going to make that 53-man roster and it tells you a lot from these games. So it's the Cowboys and the Steelers tonight. This will be the only preseason game that I actually make a pick for. 
and I think the Steelers are going to win. There's too many people out for the Dallas Cowboys. I think more Steelers players will get more snaps, ultimately having them get a victory in the first preseason game. The next one won't be till next week, so we actually get football back tonight. Now in terms of the next topic, I'm going to break down which teams have the best running back corps. Now this is different. I've broken down in the past the best players by position, the best quarterbacks, the best running backs, the best wide receivers, tight ends, and so on and so forth. I won't give my best position group for a quarterback because there's usually one quarterback playing in the NFL. Rarely do we see two quarterbacks get playing time. However, for certain positions like wide receivers, running backs, you do have a group that makes it up. So it probably won't be the same. For example, Derrick Henry, to me, is the best running back in the NFL by far. But do... The Tennessee Titans have the best running back group, even though they have the best running back. No, they don't because it's Derrick Henry and that's it. If he gets injured, it's game over. They don't split time, whereas these teams I'm going to mention, they do have a featured back, but they also have maybe a third down back as well that does get a decent amount of playing time and helps this team out immensely isn't just a three down punch back like Derrick Henry if that makes sense so for my running backs which team I'm going to go from number five to number one number five who is makes up this group this team for the rushing backfield that is the Minnesota Vikings why well they rush a lot last year had 2,283 rushing yards, averaged 4.9 rushing yards per play as well, and had 20 rushing touchdowns, which is quite a lot compared to a lot of other teams. And they have a formidable rushing backfield made up by Dalvin Cook, who was my third best running back that I ranked, and Alex Madison. Dalvin Cook gets the bulk of the workload, over 1,500 yards, uh, 10 touchdown, or actually uh, he had one receiving touchdown last year, and he had 16 rushing touchdowns. So a lot of this work is from Dalvin Cook himself, but you can't rule out Alex Madison, who they use in third down situations, actually started a couple games last year and was actually really good in his starting time he rushed for 434 yards in two starts but he also appeared in quite a few games two touchdowns that he added in they kind of used him as a receiving back had 125 yards out of a backfield as well so this duo is very formidable out of a backfield it doesn't matter if Dalvin Cook is hurt or injured they have somebody who can carry the bulk of a load then going in with him. And that's why they have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL is because they have two great running backs, top five player for his uh, position in Dalvin Cook, 
and a very good backup Alex Madison who could probably start for other teams. And they do a lot with them rushing 139 first downs, rushing the football is also a lot. And the Minnesota Vikings rely on a strong rushing attack to open the passing up for con artist Kirk. So the Minnesota Vikings rely on the running game, and to rely on it, you have to have a couple of good backs, and they have a couple of them in Dalvin Cook and Alex Madison. So they're number five. Who is number four? That is the New Orleans Saints, led by my second back, Alvin Kamara, and a former starter for the Raiders, Latavius Murray. They also rush a lot. They've rushed for more first downs than the Vikings did with 147 of their 6,000 offensive yards. 2,265 of them are rushing. Average 4.6 rushing yards per play. And rushing touchdowns had 30. This team had more rushing touchdowns than passing touchdowns. 30-28. to 28. That is sort of unbelievable in this day and age for football where we see the Patrick Mahomes, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson's throw the football down the field. For them to have 30 rushing touchdowns and rush for more touchdowns and passing is sort of unprecedented in today's NFL. But if anybody's going to do it, it is this backfield right here. And who leads them? Alvin Kamara does that. Rush for 932 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns as well. Average is around 5 yards. A carry that is simply brilliant. That, to me, is icing on the cake. Two rushes, and you automatically get a first down. That's what you get with Alvin Kamara. And as I said, Latavius Murray, no scrub himself. 656 yards, so 300 yards short of Alvin Kamara. He actually started in seven games, appeared in 15, had four touchdowns to boot as well, adding to Alvin Kamara's big total of 16. So this team rushes the football a lot. They design a lot of runs for the quarterback as well with Taysom Hill. That they add in. So this offense is very dynamic. But it is led by the rushing attack. And they all get it done. Even Taysom Hill, as I said, added in 600 or 8 touchdowns and 457 yards. So he will be featured more of a quarterback. But I would still see a lot of rushes for him, rushing yards for this potent attack that the New Orleans Saints are going to bring, relying on the ground, relying on Kamara and Murray to do the bulk of the work this season. And it's simply unstoppable. Kamara has been doing this with Mark Ingram. Now he's doing it with Latavius Murray. I mean, Sean Payton has down schemes that will work with these great players. So that is why they are number four 
spearheaded by Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray. What about number three? Well, number three to me is more of a projection of what I think is going to happen, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. Josh Jacobs, to me, want to be better running backs in the league. And Kenyon Drake, who was the number one running back for the Cardinals last year, who the Raiders picked up. They haven't played a season together, but I have very high expectations for this running attack. Josh Jacobs, pro bowler last year, rushed for over 1,000 yards, had 12 touchdowns, 4 yards a carry, brilliant, also on the receiving game, 238 yards. Pair that with Kenyon Drake, who is more of a uh, receiving back, third down back by nature, was decent with the Cardinals last year. Really broke through after struggling when they traded for him. Who knew what he was going to bring, but last year started 13 games, 955 yards. That's pretty decent for a team in a Cliff Kingsbury offense that doesn't run the football that often. But they trusted Kenyon Drake to do it, and he had 10 touchdowns to go along with it. 137 receiving yards to go with five touchdowns. Uh, so these two together did rush combined for over 2,000 rushing yards and had 22 touchdowns. Do I think they'll replicate that same success this year? No, I don't. I expect both numbers maybe to be a little dipped, but together, Josh Jacobs will have more than he did and his backup did this past year where Josh Jacobs was kind of that uh, running all three down back, not really take him out because the guy behind him just could not get it done. I expect big things from this Raiders rushing attack this year. I think it has a lot of potential, a lot of ways to go right. It is a tough division they are in. John Gruden has to game plan this in his West Coast style offense. But I think this could be a good fit, especially Kenyon Drake with Derek Carr opening up the passing game out of a backfield and a good running attack as well for both of these teams to open up the play action. So I like what the Las Vegas Raiders did and picked it up and to me have one of the better rushing duos. Now this next one is more of a rushing trio, you could say. And that is the Indianapolis Colts, who have three really good running backs in Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, and Naheem Hines. Last year, Marlon Mack was injured, so the bulk of it was Jonathan Taylor and Hines. And they were great. Marlon Mack returning this year, and I think they should be even better. Last year, the Colts had 2,000 rushing yards, 20 rushing touchdowns, and 4.3 average yards per carry for this team. And when you break it down, Marlon Mack injured in the first game that he played, only racked up 26 yards. But the year before was a 1,000-yard rusher in Indianapolis. Looked like the guy who's going to be the man coming forward. They drafted Jonathan Taylor as insurance. And what a rookie year that he had with Marlon Mack going down. Was the man 
rushed for over 1,000 yards, had 11 touchdowns as well, 299 receiving yards, that great back out of Wisconsin, translated his skills to the NFL. And let's not forget about Naheem Hines as well, who rushed for 380 yards, had three touchdowns, but was more of that receiving back, had 63 receptions, 482 yards, and four touchdowns. So he is kind of your true third down back, passing back, to where if he's in there, you're going to bulk up in the passing game. And if Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack in there, you're going to stack the box to try to stop him. But that's what's going to make this attack so dangerous for the Indianapolis Colts as they have so many ways uh, to burn you. And I think Marlon Mack coming back healthy helps this team out so much more because Carson Wentz is injured, not playing. Who knows what the quarterback's going to be, if it's really going to be Jacob Eason or if they trade for a Nick Foles or somebody. They don't have to rely on them to be the guy like Phillip Rivers was last year. They can rely on their running backs. And when you have three of them, I think you can expect one of them to be hot for a game. And you just take it by committee. Because when you got Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, two great north-south running backs. Naheem Hines, who's a great passing uh, back out there, or receiving back. You can really get this done on all angles with your running backs. They don't have star wide receivers or a star quarterback. Offensive linemen just went down. But if they're going to win football games with this good defense, they're going to have to rely heavily on the rushing attack. And I think they can deliver some wins. Now, who is number one on the list? That would be none other than the Cleveland Browns. Yes, the Cleveland Browns, led by top five running back Nick Chubb and in my top ten, Kareem Hunt. How deadly is it to have two great running backs? Well, pretty deadly. 133 rushing first downs of a 5,900 offensive yards, 2,300 where rushing, averaged 4.8 yards per carry, 21 rushing touchdowns. These guys were great last year out of the backfield in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb going to the Pro Bowl, had over 1,000 yards, had 12 touchdowns, wasn't used much in a receiving game, but still racked up 150 yards in Kareem Hunt. You know, 850 yards for Cleveland. Almost two 1,000-yard running backs this year. That is unbelievable. Kareem Hunt with six rushing touchdowns. Is used more out of a passing. He had 304 yards and five touchdowns. So this, to me, is the perfect running game. They have the perfect backfield, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, They do. Kareem Hunt rushes a lot more than Nick Chubb, but Nick Chubb is that physical back that picks up more yards per carry at 5.6, where Hunt's at 4.3. And you can't uh, 
forget about what they run when they have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, who can run sort of these jet sweeps. Baker Mayfield can also turn on the jets every once in a while. He rushed for 165 yards and added a touchdown. So they can get very creative with their rushing attack, and this rushing attack really opens up the whole offense for Baker, makes Baker look better, one of the best play-action quarterbacks in the game right now. But that all starts with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, who had monster years last year, monster years for the Cleveland Browns. And I think going into this year, they're only going to get better. This team is only going to get better with the addition of OBJ, which will open up more in the running game. So I'm expecting big things from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, this Cleveland Browns rushing attack, which is the best in the NFL, by far a great offensive line to block for them as well. A lot of this stuff is adding up for the Cleveland Browns for the taking. So my top five running back groups are the Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints, Las Vegas Raiders, Indianapolis Colts, and the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns, to me, are just far in above the rest in terms of the missed tackles that they have and such. That team is good and built to run the football. Now... Team USA basketball, basketball Tokyo Olympics yesterday or this morning was the best game. In France, beating Slovenia by one point on a last second block. Brilliant. A lot of people were hoping for this Slovenia USA match where it was kind of Luka versus KD. Didn't happen. France just got it. Rudy Gobert has looked much better in the Olympics than he has, you know, with his team, the Jazz, in the playoffs. So I'm glad he's finally, you know, found his knack for winning and doing uh, certain things for this team because it simply was not there in the playoffs. And Luka, a triple-double, most assists in a, a game for the... International, 18 assists, 16 points, 10 rebounds. He was brilliant out there, but the France team defensively was just too good. And so they'll be in the gold medal game against Australia. Uh, USC beat Australia. Uh, Patty Mills was great uh, for this team. It looked like USA was on the run at the beginning. It was easy. Then Team Australia puts together a run of their own to take the lead. Then USA, backed by KD, uh, took another run, and the game was out of hand by then. So finally, we'll see if USA can avenge their earlier loss to France that they played in this Olympics. It's going to be great. I really like what France has been doing in their rim protection and their defense. But I think if this offense for USA gets hot, KD, Jason Tatum, it is game over. They just have too much offensive firepower that France just cannot match. But the exciting, the entertaining game that we want to see is 
gone a little disappointing that it's not Slovenia and USA, but USA and France should be a good one as well. Now to get into NBA free agency. A couple of things. First, Trey Young signed a max deal and John Collins signed a five-year deal with the Hawks, pretty much locking in this team, this core, for the next five years. They better hope that they can get this done with Trey Young and John Collins. It shows that the Hawks are committed to these two players to try to win it with these two players. You hand out this deal to Trey Young. You feel that he is one of the best point guards in the league. I still have reserves because to me his mid-range is great. His floater is sort of unstoppable. But because of his size, he really offers nothing on defense. And he is, to me, you know, just an average so-so a three-point shooter, especially for the volume of threes that he takes where, you know, he thinks he's Steph Curry and he does have range. He does hit from far out. But consistently, I'd like to see him make more threes from a point guard position, considering how many of them he throws up a game. John Collins, to me, is a very tough player. Very good down there at power forward. But pick and roll with Trey Young and John Collins works just as well as Trey Young and Clint Capella. John Collins can also knock down threes when he's open on the outside. So I get committing to him. But to me, they need another star to compete in the East. It's just how it is now with Brooklyn being the top uh, in terms of what you look at roster-wise, healthy with James Harden, Kyrie, and uh, KD. But then you also have the Bucks with a similar three of their own, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. And you got to remember that this Hawks team lost to the Bucks without Giannis in the last two games. The series was tied. I thought this could be what the Hawks need, a Giannis injury, but they could not win with Giannis out. So that, to me, was very interesting Uh, to say the least, but yes, they need one more star to compete. Patty Mills, longtime Spurs player, signed with the New York, or Brooklyn Nets, my bad. Great bench player, great role player as well, who's a uh, 37% three-throw shooter who can get very hot from three as well, averaged 11 points last year. So I think coming off of bench, this is great for the Brooklyn Nets. They lost Spencer Dinwiddie, which I'll talk about in a moment, which is a big loss. Joe Harris getting older and was unreliable at all during uh, the postseason run. KD, Kyrie, James Harden. The big men, Blake Griffin, uh, who is not as great as he once was, but has flashes. DeAndre Jordan, who was unplayable in the playoffs, who was signed to a big contract last year when they were like, oh, we have to have Kyrie and KD, and got to throw DeAndre Jordan in there. That looks like a mistake. Uh, So a lot of money tied up to really those four guys and bringing up players like this. 
the depth on this team is very thin, but Patty Mills, you know, can steal a game every once in a while when he heats up from three. The Chicago Bulls made moves, traded for Alonzo Ball, signed Alex Caruso from the Los Angeles Lakers, and was engaged in a sign-and-trade and got acquired DeMar DeRozan from the Spurs. So the Bulls kind of went all-in, which very confused, considering they were one of the worst teams last year. I think they'll be improved. I definitely think they'll make the playoffs. I think they're a top Eight team. You have Alonzo Ball, who is now there at point guard, who has you know worked on his shooting, who is a better shooter now than when he was with the Lakers. Uh, that really hurts this Pelicans team. I thought Alonzo and Zion had great chemistry together uh, as well. This hurts the Pelicans a lot going forward. Alex Caruso defensively backing up Alonzo Ball. I think will be great. One of the best defensive guards, even though he doesn't provide any offense whatsoever. They have former first-round pick Kobe White at point guard as well, so they have a lot of options and depth there. DeMar DeRozan at shooting guard will help this team as well. Another uh, ball handler who can space the floor out as well. So this team, I think, especially with Laurie Markinen, should be good. But as I said, there's no one superstar on this team. To me, Zach Levine doesn't qualify as that yet, even though he's a very exciting player to watch. There's too much talent there in the East, but the Bulls did do a lot of nice moves to solidify themselves, at least to me, for a playoff spot. Steph Curry got himself a max contract, first player ever to sign two. Max contracts that are over $200 million. But he deserves it. He deserved it when he signed years ago when he was the unanimous back-to-back MVP. He deserved it now when he was in the MVP discussion, scoring champion, almost carried the, Lake, or the Warriors to a playoff berth with no Clay Thompson in aging Draymond Green, who doesn't make it as much as a difference as he used to. But Steph Curry has just been sensational. This ties him to the Bay Area. He wants to finish his career there. So congratulations, Steph, on securing the bag. Hopefully, Clay Thompson comes back and you'll be more formidable next year. Now to me, for the team that did the best in free agency, made the most moves, were the Los Angeles Lakers. What did they do? They signed Dwight Howard. Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, and Kendrick Nunn overhauled the entire roster, got Dwight Howard, got rid of Andre Drummond, clear upgrade there. Andre Drummond looked lost last year with the Lakers, doesn't have that fire defensively that Dwight Howard has as the ultimate rim protector. Can he shoot? But defensively, the post down there with him and AD, pretty much unstoppable down there. You guys just can't penetrate the low post with AD and Dwight Howard. Great move. Carmelo Anthony, knowing his role off the bench like he was with Portland, did great last year with Portland. I believe averaged, you know, 
13, 14 points in his role. 40% three-point shooter last year uh, was really good, and I think he'll work out well with his good friend LeBron, part of that Banana Boat crew. They're un- reunited for the first time in the NBA. I think they could do some special things. Trevor Ariza, great defensively. As I said, you lost Alex Caruso. How are you going to replace that defensively? Trevor Ariza is one of those ways in addition to Dwight Howard and making this more team defense. Malik Monk is a shooter as well, had highs last year in all of his field goal percentages. Young player as well, which I like. Wayne Ellington, another 40% three-point shooter. They needed more shooting. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams last year. Clearly trying to address that as well. Kent Bazemore, former Warriors who took less money to go to the Lakers. Kendrick Nunn, point guard for the Heat backup. But now he's backing up Russell Westbrook. I think this is another fine move. So they made a ton of good moves. I love the Lakers. Now as they're constructed more than I did last year. Uh, They got rid of some of the guys in the locker room to maybe only person left is Dennis Schroeder, but I like this move a lot. To me, they were the best in free agency. However, everybody is picking on the age of this team and how old they are. Yes, they are the oldest roster. Yes, their stars, Russell Westbrook, LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore are all old, 32 and older. Dwight Howard as well. They have AD, who is 28. Malik Monk, who's under 30. So they have a couple young guys, but this is an old roster. This has been talked about a lot. People have been making memes on how the Lakers are a retirement home and how tired this team will be every game. At first it was, you know, this super team, but now it's an old team, and everybody's talking about how old they are. So LeBron James made this tweet yesterday saying, and I quote, Keep talking about my squad, our personal ages, the way he plays, he stays injured, or past our time in this league, etc., etc., etc. Do me one favor, please, and I mean please. Keep that same narrative energy when it begins. That's all I ask. Hashtag thank you. The crown. End of quote. Now, I totally get what LeBron is saying here, and I am for it. I am for what LeBron is saying, because he is saying to pick a side. And this is how it's going to go. You have to pick a side in this one right here. You're either going to go, A, this is an old team. They're not going to win a championship at all because they're so old, they're terrible. And then you have the other side who say, This is an old team, but you know what? LeBron is one of the best players in the history of the NBA. AD is also one of the best players in the NBA right now. Carmelo is a future Hall of Famer. Russell Westbrook, a future Hall of Famer. Dwight Howard, a future Hall of Famer. We have talent and experience. Yes, it's older, but will that pay off? Make it a super team. Who knows? But if you're saying, A, this team's too old, when this season's over and the Lakers win the championship, are you going to say, oh, this was a super team. It was from the beginning. Oh, yeah, age, you know, no. No, you have to keep that same narrative the whole way through. So if you're saying right now, 
that they're an old team and they're not going to win it, I want you to say that when they win the championship. So since LeBron put me in this pickle, I know that this is an old team. But I love LeBron. I like the chances of this team, the talent that they have. Nobody's better than LeBron until he proves me wrong. And I'm saying that the Lakers are going to win the championship. I'm going with the narrative that this is a great assembled team. Yes, it's old, but guess what? They're going to win the championship. Lakers are going to win Banner 18. LeBron's going to win his fifth NBA championship. Melo's going to get his first ring. Russell Westbrook is going to get his first ring. And it's just going to be a joyous NBA time. My brother, on the other hand, has said that this is an old retirement team. So when they win the championship, I don't want him to say it was a super team because you said it was an old team. So for everybody saying this is an old team, I want you to write it down and read it to yourself every day how old they are, how washed, so that when they win a championship, you can't say anything else. You need to keep that energy. So I'll applaud LeBron for saying that. And I'm for the Lakers moves. Who else did good in free agency? The Miami Heat made a lot of moves that I thought were really good. P.J. Tucker, great defensively. They added Markeith Morris off the bench. When he's hot, he's hot as he was with the Lakers a couple years ago. Signed Jimmy Butler to a max contract. Duncan Robinson uh, to another contract as well. But the key here was Kyle Lowry. Key facility, key point guard in a sign and trade that sent Goran Dragic to the Raptors and Kyle Lowry there. Why do I say this is big? 2019 championship team, Toronto Raptors. Who was their best player? It was Kawhi Leonard. Who's the best player on the Heat? Jimmy Butler. They both play similar similar roles of the great two-way player. Who was the big man for the Toronto Raptors? That was a young, up-and-coming Pascal Siakam. Who is the up-and-coming uh, big guy for the Heat? That's Bam Adebayo. Who was the point guard for the Toronto Raptors? That was Kyle Lowry. Who is the point guard now for Miami Heat? Kyle Lowry. And when you look at other parts of that roster as well, the Raptors had uh, Norman Powell, who was good, and Fred Van Fleet, who was a great backup point guard who made a ton of threes. Oh, I see that P.J. Tucker, kind of like that Powell role. Duncan Robinson, a better Van Fleet shooting the ball. So to me, I think the Heat took one out of this book. And no, hey, Kyle Lowry is a great leader, great facilitator. I see a lot of parallels between those two teams. A lot of it, though, to me is I like Bam Adebayo more than I like Pascal Siakam. I like Duncan Robinson more than I like him. Kyle Lowry is the same player. It's Kawhi Leonard at that time was unstoppable. It's going to be Jimmy Butler's turn if they're going to compete. But I think this is a top four team in the East. To me, is a top three team over the Sixers right now, depending on what they do. But I like this move a lot by them. Jimmy Butler's going to have to take that next step. Other news for the NBA. CP3 signed a four-year, $120 deal with the Suns to say, really like the Suns. That contract will expire when he's 40. 
Congrats for him. Congrats for the Suns. I like them tying up more money to CP3. Spencer Dinwiddie from the Nets, who was really good, but tore his ACL last year, so he didn't play much as now with the Wizards in a massive sign-in trade that involved Russell Westbrook and other pieces. I don't think this moves the needle a lot for the Wizards, uh, but I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a fine player, fine piece uh, to this roster. And then finally, the New York Knicks extended Julius Randle, who is a comeback player of the year, the heart and soul of this team. Then they also signed a couple former Boston Celtics players, point guard Kemba Walker and Evian Fournier. And I think Kemba Walker will be a great piece. You have Derrick Rose, but both players both are kind of injury prone. I don't think there should be one, you know, kind of key point guard who gets more minutes. I split it up 24-24, run the offense for both, and I think that will be great. Evan adds more shooting to this team. So a team that finished fourth last year, but teams that have made moves like the Heat to try to pass them. I like the Knicks now dropping down to number five with the moves they made. But it should be interesting, and to me, are one star away from really breaking through, but the East is getting a lot tougher. Now, time for my top five teams in baseball, shifting quickly from NBA to MLB. Number five, the Milwaukee Brewers. Why? Well, they're tied for first for the least amount of runs allowed, playing great defensively. Offense is improving. It was very stagnant or sporadic, but now it's ascending and it's more consistent. And with this great defense that they already have, the Milwaukee Brewers have broken to the top five, have a stranglehold on their division moving forward the NL Central. Number four, the Tampa Bay Rays. To me, sort of a true up-and-down team who had a not-okay end of June but have started July great on a 16-8 run, have beat the Red Sox multiple times to take first in a big, loaded AL East. That's a battle for the division. Seems like every game, but the Tampa Bay Rays are ascending and playing well. Their offense is great. Even if Tyler Glass now looks like he's not returning anytime soon, this team is still winning. Number three, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Well, they've got the best run differential in baseball, tied for first for the least amount of runs allowed with the Brewers and another team I will name in a second. At the deadline, they acquired Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers, who last night struck out 10 Astro players. Trey Turner, great positional player, whether that be shortstop or second base. This team looks poised to repeat currently constructed, but they ran into an issue before their win last night against the Astros or they couldn't score any runs against the Astros the game before yesterday, which is why the Astros are number two. Why? Well, they score the most runs, the best offensive team in baseball, and to me what's scary is how much I love heckling the Astros. I do not like the Astros at all. I love when teams are jeering them, throwing inflatable trash cans, booing them, uh, shouting at Altuve and Correa and Bregman, and all those guys. I love it. All for that. However, the Astros are a much better road team 
than home team. With those attitudes that I see of Correa and Altuve and such, I think they feed off that bad energy and they enjoy it, uh, which I really don't like. I would like for some team to actually shut them up, which really no team has been able to do all season long. And then number one is the San Francisco Giants. Still number one. Why? Because they're tied for first for least amount of runs allowed. One of the best defensive teams all year. Fourth lowest ERA. One of the best pitching rotations that they have. And then they added Chris Bryant at the trade deadline, who I think will be great for this team. Great uh, locker room guy. And then also great defensively over there at third base but can also hit the ball as well, playing really good this year. I think the San Francisco Giants are rounding and will hold off the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NL West. But for baseball, there is a huge series that starts tonight, ends on Sunday, a big four-game stretch. The Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees battling for a playoff spot. Yankees are one ahead of the Mariners. Both are out of the playoffs, but to me, This will create a lot of separation in terms of who wins and who are losing these games. Tyler Anderson on the mound tonight for the Mariners. Nestor Cortez for the Yankees. These four games are must-win for the Yankees to catch the A's and to separate themselves from the Mariners. Then there was a big bombshell drop today, and that was Lionel Messi not going to return to Barcelona due to the financial structure of his contract. And Messi is just the GOAT. He is so good at what he does in his time with La Liga. He holds the all-time record for most goals, most goals in a season, direct free kick goals, assists, assists in a season, hat-trick, uh, hat-trick scored in the season. Uh, the goals were 672, 268 assists, record for the most games played at 778, most titles at 35, most Bayon Dior's, which is a player of the year's, which is six, six Golden Boots, a record as well. I mean, seven Copa del Rey wins, four Champion League wins, 10 La Liga titles. I mean, the list goes on and on of so many records that he currently holds, either in his league or just as a player. How brilliant Messi is for him. To go somewhere else is just insane, unprecedented that a player of this magnitude still, who I think will win his seventh uh, award this year, uh, to still put him head and shoulders above a rest is just insane. But he is on now. Uh, He is shocked by the news that he isn't coming back. He wants to address the fans. I thought Barcelona would work out a contract with him or move other pieces to keep him, but that is not the case. He will now be playing for a different league, different team this year. Who will it be? PSG, Manchester City, who knows? But I think after winning this Copa American Argentina, his goal and focus should still be in Argentina and the World Cup next year. That's it, folks. Talk to you all soon. Watch some preseason football tonight. Bye, everybody.